Welcome to episode 17 of the Propane Fitness Podcast. You've got the pleasure of just me today, Yusuf, and what we're going to discuss is those who shout loudest in the fitness industry and everywhere else. So we're going to cover how to see through a lot of the overconfidence and hot air with material that you might read online. Now this may come across as a bit of a rant, but it's an uncomfortable truth. So, error number one not looking at people's experience within the limits of what they know and within their remit. So you wouldn't ask your mechanic's opinion about neuropsychiatry. Equally, you wouldn't trust your psychiatrist to replace your timing belt. So with that in mind, we often see people trusting online nutrition gurus to give a diagnosis on your adrenomedullary function. Uh, I'm referring to uh, adrenal fatigue, that term that's kind of banded about quite a lot and people often buy into it because there's no reference point. And uh, if you use enough technical terms, you can create a spurious diagnosis with no medical basis. So a quote from Freakonomics, an expert doesn't so much argue the various sides of an issue as plant his flag firmly on one side. That's because an expert whose argument reeks of restraint or nuance often doesn't get much attention. An expert must be bold if he hopes to alchemize his homespun theory into conventional wisdom. His best chance of doing so is to engage the public's emotions, for emotion is the enemy of rational argument, and as emotions go, fear is more potent than the rest. So don't listen to people who claim that they know better than health services, for example. I've legitimately heard online nutritionists say that they know better than national health service experts about treating autism. Newsflash, these roles are extremely competitive and require a hell of a lot of qualifications, so no stone is left unturned with evidence-based practice. And there's a profit-based incentive, huge industry behind these things. That's why I find it a bit rich to hear nutritionists with no scientific qualifications claiming that they know more about gut health than gastroenterologists, because they read something on PubMed once. They, This kind of thing is perpetuated because these kind of characters hang around in self-congratulatory circle jerk fitness circles that never really question their data or claims and so they end up getting elevated to the guru status and the problem is if you surround yourself with um, other people like that in your network then you start to believe that your opinion does make a difference so for example my first degree was in business studies and uh, obviously quite a large catch-all term for a course and there's a lot of qualitative and quantitative uh, elements to the course so you'd quite often get people who chose entirely qualitative ones where a lot of the material is up for discussion and debate so we had a compulsory tutorial of uh, statistics for research methods and the tutor was just one of the mathematicians that was covering for the the session and he obviously was quite bitter about undergraduates and he was going through the Poisson distribution and this girl put her hand up and said I think it should be like this and the guy just shut her down he was like no you do not think you're an undergraduate your opinion means nothing you read the books and you do what they say and I think that's really poignant in the sense that not everything is up for discussion and usually if someone's trying to go against the grain and make some kind of wild claim it may or may not have a scientific basis and it might just be that they're shooting for publicity. So bear that in mind when you're seeing um, these kind of uh, claims being thrown around as well. 
looking at Martin Burkan, he's been driven to despair with a dystopic view of the industry as a whole. But it's not all bad. Um, the main recommendations that at least I would have would be to question the source, look at the track record of whoever you're reading or um, being advised something to do with diet or training. So that includes athletes that they've produced, their agenda, what they're selling, what their lifts are, what their physiques are, and obviously we encourage you to hold us to the same standards. So look at our hundreds of, of clients and the people that we've prepared for national and international competitions, as well as the average Joes, look at their physiques, um, strength levels, progress, draw your own conclusions on whether you think um, those recommendations were effective or not. And uh, you know anyone can be an armchair expert, even more with, with blogs and the recent kind of fashionableness of lifting in general and the fact that um, anyone who's unemployed can pretend to be a coach. But uh, it's something that if you always go back to the track record and uh, see what someone's agenda is, then you can't really go too far wrong. <clears throat> Sometimes, unfortunately, just because someone has qualifications, if there's nothing to really triangulate it against, then that qualification may or may not be a dud. There's a lot of companies that sell nutritional qualifications because it's not really a protected thing. And, uh, you know, if just because someone's qualified from the Poliquin Institute, we don't really know what that means. That, you know, they could be teaching them anything. There's no kind of internationally recognized body that's going to be auditing them. So, yeah, take that stuff with a pinch of salt. And, as I say, apply the same principles to us. We ultimately have just, like me and Johnny, have just practiced more at something that you might be aiming for, and perhaps we have the lifts that you're aiming for as well. Maybe not, maybe you think we're weak as piss, in which case uh, I'm not sure why you're listening, but um, the fact is, you know, we're not academics and we're not trying to fool you into anything that we're not. So um, just bear in mind that, you know, having an Instagram selfie and a good physique may or may not make you worthy of coaching people. Next thing is trust your own experience as well. You know, just because you have a theory on something that you can't see um, backed up in the science or um, because someone writes an arrogant blog post claiming something different doesn't mean that your experience of something is invalid. As long as you are being systematic in your approach and you think that, say, carb backloading works for you, then who are we to say otherwise? If you can control yourself over a large enough sample size for calorie balance, and you know that, you know, holding all other variables constant, if you backload your carbs, that you'll achieve <clears throat> more rapid progress than, um, than if you didn't, then go for it. The science is often in its infancy a lot of the time with diet and training. There's not a lot of funding going behind it, and so Really, once you've got the main evidence-based foundations in place with your diet and training, the finessing of a lot of stuff, there may not be a randomized double-blind trial or a systematic review on the things that you're looking to finesse. And so a lot of it does come down to self-experimentation until the science does catch up. Um, you might find something preliminary with a small sample size, but it won't really be enough to draw a proper conclusion from. And that's why we encourage you to track as many variables as you can with the propane protocol. Um, for example, your morning weigh-ins, sleep quality using um, the app Sleep Cycle, 
and your macros within a sustainable level of precision and then that way you can look back with certainty on variables that you've changed in your diet and your training that have a measurable effect and you can draw conclusions from that yourself without having to wait for external data to come out with that so um, some people have done that kind of stuff for you and that's what we aim to do and uh, also you know coming back to what we were saying about looking at someone's experience within their remit is that quite often this is uh, something that Candito said uh, Johnny Candito 83 kilo lifter from the States um, is that you have some diet guys and you have training guys and usually someone might have a, a foundation in both but they'll tend towards one or the other and so it's a good idea to you know look at people for their purpose and Johnny Candito great person to follow for training looking at squat form things like that but maybe not so much for diet and he kind of admits that that's not his strong point beyond the beyond the basics so we've covered some of the impediments to information flow in online fitness such as people relying on charisma and appealing to emotion by fear-mongering and shouting lots of hot air loudly and also having an agenda to sell something or a vested interest and we've also given some recommendations on how you can learn to see through that there are other blocks to the flow of research for example um, in the pharmaceutical industry profit often gets in the way of science so a pharmaceutical company can run as many clinical trials as they want and then withhold evidence for the ones that don't show their drug in a good light so being able to withhold evidence from clinical trials obviously can vastly skew the the data as well as if they're introducing um, a new drug and they want to compare it to another one they can use an inappropriate dose of the alternative drug so that it produces lots of side effects and then they can then claim that their new drug has less side effects than the competitor again not really a fair test and so if you have a look at Ben Goldacre Bad Science is a book that he wrote and he does a TED talk as well definitely recommended if you're interested in how data gets skewed in the pharmaceutical and medical industry he gives the analogy of being able to flip a coin a hundred times and then withhold 50% of the results and then being able to convince anyone that a coin has two taboos is another block to information flow I'll explain what I mean by that um, you may have seen one of the Facebook groups going round called natural cures not medicines if you haven't and you fancy a laugh search it and have a look basically it's a page that is very anti-medicine and pro-naturalistic cures and claim that there are natural herbs that um, can cure cancer and they're being held back from by the pharmaceutical industry because they're not profitable absolute rubbish if these kind of things existed and we knew about them then big pharma would jump on them straight away and be able to profit majorly from them um, so that kind of thing is kind of folklore and wishful thinking and in a way dangerous that if you claim to a cancer patient to avoid the, that nasty chemotherapy and just to take some herbs instead you may be missing a critical point in which they could be cured and so you might actually be killing them in the process but um, that aside outside of the kind of conspiracy theories there are there is some legitimate information on things like psychedelics which uh, are drugs like LSD and psilocybin which is the main component of magic mushrooms having therapeutic application for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and depression 
to enhance psychotherapy. Now, the problem with those drugs is that because they're used recreationally, um, they have a stigma attached to them. And so all that happens in that case is that the free market operates more slowly in getting to an optimal point where there is stigma attached. But I'd give it 10, maybe 20 years until a lot of these things are being used in mainstream medicine once the stigma has been separated from its therapeutic applications. Same with, for example, medical marijuana um, and its application with patients with chronic pain, HIV, and adjunctive use with chemotherapy, and things like prostitution as well, where we can all agree that having a regulated system would prevent a lot of the very avoidable harm associated with having things like that under a, a black market. But because of the taboo and the fact that it's not socially acceptable, it's kept illegal because of sentiment. So um, that's another thing that gets in the way of an optimal outcome because of sentiment and taboo attached to a certain topic. If you're interested in more about psychedelics particularly, this is a very interesting documentary that goes into the neuroscience of it called Neurons to Nirvana, recommended to me from James Bailey from Real Health and Fitness, included a link to that and the documentary below, talking about the fear-based agenda that resulted in restrictions on research for any of these drugs uh, on their therapeutic application, with the only funding that was available was for research that was intended to um, show the harm of these compounds. So it comes back exactly to withholding a certain number of results from flips of the coin. And you end up with a skewed picture of the research. So it then becomes impossible to do a meta-analysis and for the science to progress within that field. Another example, counter-terrorism funding. $16.6 billion spent annually on counter-terrorism across the United States. So if you imagine the number of lives that that would save over a um, 14 year period since September the 11th compared to if we'd spent 16.6 billion dollars on dialysis machines um, that would have made a large difference but again this comes back to sentiment being more important than policy making anyway before we get far too off topic I'm just going to conclude so look at your sources with scrutiny not just the qualifications but the evidence of people's claims and their track record trust your own experience, don't listen to those who shout loudest necessarily, and if in doubt, track your own data and draw your own conclusions. Hope this has been an interesting listen for you today, something a bit different, and speak to you next time.